are celebrating that is also the week before Easter, which is called Palm Sunday, um, which is a beautiful moment in time where we can celebrate both, in fact. Um, So that's really cool. I just love the idea that 60 years ago, the church was founded and started meeting just before Easter. So the 30th of March is actually the day in 1963 when this church began, and it began in a home. Um, but I'm going to tell that story um, in, a, in a moment. Basically, we're going to, today is going to be full of stories. Is that, is that too loud? I feel like I, I need to... Is that, is that a bit... Yep, yeah? awesome. Fantastic. Okay, so today what I want to do is actually just tell a bunch of stories. And we're going to invite... There's actually four different people that you're going to hear from today, plus me, so five. Um, I, I've, so I've got... I would like to say, I've got Pastor Craig coming, who was the pastor just who just left, but he's actually sick, and he's devastated that he couldn't be here, but he's made a video for us, so we're going to hear from him. He was actually supposed to be here for the last couple of days, because we just did a discipling uh, course, and which he set up, and he's one of the drivers of, and so he was really, really devastated that he couldn't be here. But we're, So I've got a video from him. I've also got a video from Paul Quick, who was, one of the, who was the pastor before uh, Craig was here, and uh, he wanted to be here as well. He's now the pastor at Morley Baptist, but he is doing a wedding, uh, t- like yesterday or today, uh, so that's why he can't be here, but we've got a video from him as well, but we actually are going to hear from a couple of people, like in, in real life. Um, we're going to hear from Rhonda, we're going to hear from Nigel, um, because they've been integral in the story. But before we get to that, um, I just want to address something, because this is rumour, this is nasty rumour that in the world that the church is shrinking. Have you heard this? And that's not the truth. That's not the truth at all. It's the truth in pockets of the world. Absolutely. And we're kind of one of those places where the church isn't, hasn't been growing very much. But around the world... God is on the move. God is doing incredible things around the world. And in fact, the church is growing. In fact, statistically speaking, the church is the largest, the Christian church that is the largest organization in the world. Even though we're not very organized. But, you know, you know there's lots of pieces of the Christian church. But if we, I, I, I did some Googling, all right, and you can do this yourself. But if you look at... Uh, this is a 2015 that the Christian Christianity and all the pieces of Christianity added together is the largest group of people in the world. We are part of the largest family of people in the world. And right now, there's all kinds of different agendas that are opposing the basic Christian values, right? And we, we feel saturated by them. But the, the truth that you don't see in the news is that God is doing stuff all over the world. So this is in 2015. There was roughly 2.3 billion people who claimed to be a Christian in, in one of the varieties. So, and the next biggest uh, religion, this is a religious one, is the Muslims at 1.8 million uh, people. And then there's one called unaffiliated, which is only 1.2. Now, in Australia, we feel saturated by people who claim nothing. Um, and but in the world, that's actually not the truth. Most people in the world are religious of some description. They actually believe in something bigger than themselves. And uh, 
And of course, actually, I'm so encouraged to know that we are actually part, that God is, God is doing stuff. And there is this biblical truth that as the world gets darker, the, the light gets lighter. That's actually physics, right? Uh, you have a little light in this room, you, it wouldn't be very visible. But you turn, the darker the room gets, the more visible that light becomes. And the Bible talks about the church will continue to build and build and build and build right up until the end, right up until judgment came, comes. And I just want, I just, I find that really encouraging. Do you find that encouraging? That God is faithful in the earth. God is faithful in the world. And that's actually the theme of today. We're going to be pulling that question out and looking at God's faithfulness. Let's see the next slide. This one is the Christian population growth compared to the overall growth. So the grey line is, it doesn't say religion, it says region. So in these areas in the world, that population growth, in other words, how many people live there, um, how many babies, etc. And so in sub-Saharan Africa, there's 131% growth in their population. Um, But there is 115% growth in people who are choosing Christ. They're having a revival over there. More than, more than stacks of people are choosing Jesus. Um, it's 43% in Middle Eastern, North Africa. In the Asia Pacific, which is the pocket that we live in, uh, this, the, the growth of Christianity is higher than the growth of the population. Uh, you need to hear that. Now, that's our, that's our neck of the woods. That's our neighborhood in the world. Now, we might not be feeling that in Australia, but the areas that... You know, so China would be part of that in South, in that Asian Pacific. Now, there's a humongous uh, revival happening in China, and this where persecution is happening. It's it's quite profound. India is experiencing a humongous revival as well with Christians choosing Jesus. And again, in these areas of the world, uh, they're coming under a lot of persecution, and uh, people are becoming Christians in uh, the Latin America, Caribbean. Uh, 25%. The only place that's going backwards is Europe, which is kind of the, 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 probably the oldest part of our Western civilization. So it's Westerners. We're the ones who are in trouble <laughs> as far as not in revival. And I think that's a cause for us to pray because that's where we live. That's, that's, our, that's our corner of the world. Not that we're in Europe. Uh, North America, it's actually growing. So the rumor is it's going backwards, but it's not growing hard, like it's only 8% growth, but it's in the positive, it's in the black. And in, in the world, it's spot on even. With, so the, the church is not shrinking. The te- technically, the church is growing because the population of the world is growing and the church is equally growing. So I, I think that's really important to hear. There's, but, but what about Australia, right? Is that the question on your mind? Just go to the next one. So, I, actually, these are, these are the places in the world, sorry. Uh, in comparison, this is probably some of the highest growing Christian, um, actually not even all of them, because India's not up there. But China, look at that. The green line is how many people are choosing Christ, and the red line is the population. A-A-G-R. Um, I should have Googled that, shouldn't I? Uh, I believe it's something about the annual growth. What was it? Annual aggregated growth. I won't tell you what aggregated means. Um, 
but it's about how, how fast the population is growing. So China isn't growing very fast at the moment because they've come out of this season where they didn't want to have very many children. But oh my gosh, that green line is how many people are choosing Jesus, which is phenomenal. Please pray. Anytime you think to pray for these people around the world, uh, China is under huge um, uh, persecution, the Christian church. In fact, I've heard pastors speak when these pastors were invited to go to America and, and, you know, and pastor over there for a little while, uh, where they're not under persecution, where they were very comfortable. I've actually heard their testimony is that they wanted to go back to persecution because in jail, they experienced God. When they're in jail with all their other pastors, they're, they're, the presence of the Lord is with them in a tangible way. And they were hungry for that. They missed it. So they came to the Western world in comfort and it actually softened their faith. And they were hungry for persecution. I don't want to speak that over us necessarily. Uh, but, um, but, oh my gosh. Cambodia, Mongolia, Bhutan, Singapore, all higher growth people choosing Jesus uh, at a higher rate than the population is growing. So the church in the world is growing. Now, I think the next one is Australia. And so this is the population of Australia. So 44% of people in Australia actually affiliate with Christianity. Uh, other religion, 10%. No religion, and I think this is the biggest threat for us, is 39%. And then 7% didn't want to answer the question. So they didn't state it. Um, I'm not, and that, that, could mean, that could mean a bunch of things. So this is a 2021, and this is the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Okay, so there is, we are actually still amongst the many. There is, we're, we're still in healthy, in a healthy place. And I say all of that to say this one thing, that God is faithful. Don't believe everything you hear on the news. God is faithful. And today, we're just going to drill down into, what is God, how has God been faithful here? Now, I'm not going to be able to hit every highlight, um, but I just want to, uh, basically, I just want to honor what God has been doing. And so there's this document that I can actually make available to you because I've scanned it all. Uh, so Rhonda's mum put this together. So Rhonda's maiden name is James. Where is Rhonda? Oh, there, there you are. Um, so, and so as I read this document, you'll notice uh, her, her parents were in the foundation of this. So let me just read. I'm just going to read some of this document to you, hit some highlights, and, uh, and, and then we'll afterwards, like I said, we'll hear from some other people, and then we'll go and enjoy some morning tea. Does that sound like a plan? Yes, yeah, so, excellent. <laughs> All right, so I'm just going to read this first paragraph. During the latter months of 1961... Mr. Des Carmody of Irwin, I believe Irwin's about 45 minutes from here. Dongra? Ah, so great. Dongra, except they were on a farm in Irwin. There you go. Okay, all right, so they lived about 45 minutes away, all right? That's, that's the important bit. Um, and they, were, they contacted known Baptists in the Geraldton area with a view of forming a Baptist fellowship. A meeting of interested people were held, and from this meeting, the fellowship was formed in March 1962. Bible studies were held at various homes, with 100% attendance of families who enjoyed close relationship. 
On Bible study nights, children slept in cars, parked in driveways and on lawns. And I believe Rhonda was one of those kids. That's right. She was telling me, I don't know, I don't think you're going to... I don't want to steal your thunder, but she was telling me that, yeah, they thought we were sleeping, but we would sneak into each other's cars and hang out. Um, And, uh, yeah, so hopefully I didn't steal your thunder there. Um, The Carmody family lived 50 miles away at Irwin, but travelled with their families of four, which grew to five, to every meeting during the week, as well as on Sunday, in time for Sunday school in the morning, which started the following year. All right, I'm just going to hit a couple of highlights. And like I said, if you actually are interested in some greater detail, I can give you one of these. All right. On March, on the 30th of March, 1963, in the, they had just had a meeting to agree to this, what I'm about to say. In the home of the Jameses at 104 Gregory Street, which is Rhonda's family home, a meeting of Geraldton Baptist Fellowship took place. That was the first official meeting. The people present uh, was Jay Hendry, T. Binks. I'm going to say these names because I know some people here know these families. And so I just think it's good to honour them. Mr. Mullins, who was representing the Baptist Union of WA. Uh, H. Carmody, B. James, which is Rhonda's mum. Yeah, Betty James. Um, D. Carmody, M. James which is your dad, Murray, and uh, K. Laycock, R. Abbott, R. Ford. And apologies received from K. Ford and T. Muir. So that's where we started, in somebody's home with a small group of people who wanted to see this, that in 60 years' time, there would be a, there, there'd be a church that is thriving Okay, skipping through. The first pastor, uh, so there was a gentleman named Jay Hendry who was uh, one of the elders and he did a lot of stuff. I just wanted to mention his name. He's riddled all the way through this document. So he's one of those guys that just carried the place. But they appointed their first pastor whose name was Eric Holland on uh, 16th of February 1964. Now, I actually got an email from Baptist Churches only a few weeks ago uh, announcing that he just passed. And so his funeral just happened only a couple of weeks ago, uh, down actually down in Rockingham, in my neck of the woods, uh, where I'm from. So Eric Holland, uh, the first pastor. And um, fantastic. So that was, that was it. Can you bring up the next slide? So this is a list. There's a bit of a hole, because um, I haven't done perfect research, but there is, this is the list of pastors. And so we're just going to leave that up for you to peruse. Okay, in, in June of 1964, the, the meeting, the church, the leaders moved to apply for one acre of ground in Eastern Road. Is that a familiar address? That is where we are right now. So that was dreamed, that, that was to apply for it in 1964. Okay, skip through. There was this wonderful concept, because obviously... They had no building, and and they were acquiring the land, and they had to pay for it. And I I love this. I I just wanted to mention it. Uh, D. Carmody, who was um, that that guy that I've mentioned already, he offered, he was clearly a farmer, and so he offered 250 to 300 acres of land for a wheat crop to aid church building fund. 
So I don't know how much land this gentleman had, but he gave 250 to 300 for the purpose of this building. Well, probably that building, actually. That's cool. That's creative. And the church actually, I won't read it out, but the church actually got involved with planting the crops and harvesting and, and selling it all, and that helped raise some money. So this, the hall, so not this hall, but that hall, where we're going to have morning tea, um, was opened. Oh, it's, the official opening, the one on the plaque, says the 5th of March, 1967. But this was actually documented before that, uh, which was in November of the previous year. So there must have been a period of time where the hall existed, but they officially made it open on the 5th of March, 1967, which was a long time ago. Um, reading through. Their second pastor began, his name was Fred Stone, in February of 68, along with his family. There was this beautiful ministry of scripture in schools, which was profound. And it sounds like Rhonda's mum, Betty, was one of the, uh, the scripture teachers. Um, they, were in, they had four teachers teaching ten classes over two schools, and that's Allendale and Rangeway School. And there was also one in the high school for a, for a period of time as well. I think that's worth mentioning. That's beautiful. The Ed Block. Nobody's been able to give me a straight answer when I, since I got here as to how long that's been there. Does anyone want to hazard a guess? A long time. Elton told me, well, I got here in 1970, and it was here when I got here, and it looked just the same. <laughs> I think that was almost a quote. You want to have a go? It was transported from the airport. So let me read it to you. 10th of November, 1968. This is what was written. The building committee um, informed uh, of a bank loan of $5,500 available for a building extension. So that's how much money they put aside for this. Uh, the building at the airport to be removed to the church site at a cost of $200 plus transport. I love that. 200 bucks. My 10-year-old has more than that <laughs> sitting in his pocket. Um, not right now. Don't mug him. Um, so, plus $200 plus transport. And, uh, and this was to be used as an education building. Hence, we call it the Ed Block. I love this. Prisoners from the local prison, in, prison were available to help. So, that's fantastic. I love it. Um, the building was removed... And, and the site cleaned by December the 16th. So this is 68. So it must have arrived here before that because they had a contract to have the place cleaned by before December the 16th, 1968. So it was... Uh, I love this. Really personal. It was 114 degrees that day during the work. I assume that's Fahrenheit. Um, with the men, and the men were glad of a bulldozer to help remove the rubble. Subcontractors were employed for the brickwork and the wiring and the plastering, etc. There you go. So the building arrived in December '68, and then was worked on. Obviously, once it was here, they had to do some stuff to get it functioning, and they started using it. Um, that following, well, it looks like the the work was done in the first few months of 1969. So there you go, Elton, you were spot on. It was here when you got here in 1970. 
46 degrees Celsius, 114 degrees Fahrenheit. Thank you. That's pretty warm. That's pretty warm. Okay. Um, I'm just going to read this because this shows some of the heartbeat. In these early years were rich. These early years were rich in growth in many ways to many people. Everyone connected with the church uh, would have their own story to tell. Times of joy, disappointment, tears, encouragement, hard work. New things to learn and to share. But all praise is given to God, to whom we would all give all thanks for his guidance and his blessings in establishing a spiritual home where people from all walks of life and from all over Australia met each other and met with the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I think I might need to speed up a little bit. Um, Arthur Payne came in 1970, and he actually came and did some interim pastoring after that, which I haven't mentioned on the board um, as well, but just acknowledge him. Um, I actually know that name. He's, he, he passed it all over the place, and uh, I know he passed away just a few years ago as well. There was a boys' brigade uh, recommended to begin, uh, in 1972, February of 1972. It doesn't actually mention the day it started, but it would have been not long after that. And later on, there was a girls' brigade started in uh, 74. Or at least that's when the considerations were given. So it started at some point. So we actually started the boys' and the girls' brigade. That, uh, that is still going today. I don't know if it's exactly the same one, but... Wow, there you go. The Geraldton Boys' Brigade is the longest-running boys' brigade in Western Australia. Thank you. We had a family camp. As of 75, and I don't know how many after that, but I love family camps. Maybe we should think about that. Um, Dennis Triplett came in 76. There was a PM service started here in 77. I, I have to read this bit. Uh, June 1977, which is when I was born, in June 1977, the manse that my wife and family and I live in uh, was, hang on, the, the secretary to write to ask for clarification re regarding the block next to the church. So that's when they started dreaming about that block and the manse being there was with the moment I was being born. So there you go. Um, all right. I'm just going to try and skip through this. My heart here is to honour all these people. Okay, so that's what we're trying to do by telling their story. John Vigus came in 1980, in August of 80. I love this. I have to read this. Um, this is regarding the manse. So in, on the 27th of May, 81, there was a quote agreed upon. There was a little bit of haggling. They had to change the uh, building plan a little bit to get it down from $43,000 to something they could afford at $37,000. So the original home was built by Panorama Homes uh, for a cost of $37,000. And that was... It happened at some point in 81, 82. Isn't that fascinating? So that's how long that house has been there for. And we can attest to that. You know, as the things are starting to break. Um, okay. Um, I just want to make sure we get to the interviews because that's going to be the fun bit. Now, this is a story that I really want to tell. Uh, 
and this is kind of reflecting back in the history, it's kind of like a separate story. Okay, and this is about the Sunday school. This is inspirational for me, and I want you to hear it. Um, so I've just come out of 23 years of working with kids and teenagers, okay? So this really warms my heart. In 1963, there was a non-denominational Sunday school in Wanthella Hall. So you guys know where Wanthella Hall is? Fifth Street Furniture just moved out of it. Um, so that's where one on Fifth Street. Uh, so that's Wanthella Hall. And it, I don't think it was, it wasn't started by GBC, but it was handed to GBC uh, in, in these days. Do you know how many kids, I don't know how many people were at the church at that point, but from the impressions I get, it would have been 50, 60 people at the church. Do you know how many kids they were getting at this thing? They would drive buses around and pick up kids from all over the place. And at this point, they were getting 120 kids to that Sunday school. And I believe it, it happened in the, in the morning before the church service began. So they would drive, and it, I believe Mr. Bennett, it was the bus driver, which is your dad, right, Mark? Yep. So Mr. Bennett was the bus driver. And uh, again, this is there for you to read if, if you want a copy. Um, they were grateful for the bus transportation. They bought an old VW Combi, um, separate from that. And, uh, and in, it doesn't say the date, but at some point before 66, the numbers reached 151 kids on their books. Isn't that fantastic? Oh, and it was a, a multi-church effort. Non-denominational, there were many churches involved. I don't know how many churches, but more than one church involved. What a beautiful thing. In 1966, uh, Mr. Mitchell reported that there was 117 kids on the roll. So over, it started, well, at least the record here begins in 63, and the numbers maintained. Now, that's a hard thing to do. Even just to be patient for that long, that's a hard thing to do. And they had 15 teachers on their roll. In 68... Um, it is recorded that numbers dropped from 99 to 95. Just the fact that that was noteworthy <laughs> is really interesting. And, uh, and before the ed block, our ed block, became a reality, the pressure for accommodation for classes resulted in the adult Sunday school classes gathering in the bus. They, they had no room, so the adults met in the bus while the kids met in the hall. And obviously, uh, like I said, at some point it was handed to GBC and we continued it going. Uh, and they used the ed block. Now, I can't imagine 100 kids in that ed block. Nowadays, that's illegal. But, <laughs> but back then, you know, this was before the law was made. Um, so, and then at some point in 82, it was, so it was still going in 82. And then they made the decision, or we made the decision, to shift it from a Sunday school to a Friday night program that they called... JCE, or Junior Christian Endeavour. And, uh, and it was still very popular. And it doesn't say when it ended. I, I just really want to highlight that, because part of our DNA is a beautiful heartbeat to reach the next generation. And I know that's my heartbeat. From before we got here, that's part of my heart. And obviously, I'm attributing to the next generation with four kids. And uh, we've actually already looked into, oh, kids' clubs. Oh, there's not really many around. I think there's one. 
and there's a boys' brigade is still going, but um, there's actually not much around. So part of what I would invite you to pray with me into is what do we do about that? Because uh, I think we've got we've we are blessed with a beautiful hall. So I am going to now invite Rhonda to come up and. Oh, the youth, and the youth are going to head out. So thank you for sticking around for some of that history, youth. And uh, so enjoy. Uh, enjoy. So, yeah, Rhonda, come on up. And I've asked Rhonda and, in fact, all the other people to answer a couple of questions. And so the, the question, and I'll, I'll say them both now to give you a little bit of freedom. And the question is, Tell us a story of God's faithfulness. A story of God's faithfulness. It can be anything that Rhonda wanted. And then another one is a, a funny story or a fun or an engaging story. All right, here we go. You can hold that. So, tell us. So, obviously, you were here from the very beginning as a child, and the, the, the church was held in, the, in your home, in your family home at Gregory Street. That was a shared house. That was like a duplexy sort of thing. Oh. That was our first. Then we, mum and dad, bought a Holmes um, West house, which mm. was Rangeway opening up. Mm-hmm. And that was their home there. Brilliant. We had more things. There. Yep. And in the records, it does show that the, the church moved from house to house a little bit over the years uh, before they actually acquired some land. So, so can you tell us a story, just whatever comes to, has come to your mind as you've thought about this, a story of God's faithfulness. What is something that you just remember back and go, oh my God, God was faithful? Oh. Um, well, I was a child when it all started, but I think as an adult looking back, all the stuff that's happened over the years and how they've happened is, yeah, just everything coming together, especially the Sunday school, I think, was mm. just incredible yep. with all the children in the hall. And I think it started to dwindle off once we moved the Sunday school to this hall here. Mm. Um, I suppose, I don't know whether it was the hall that was just kind of like a, um, wasn't classed as a church, I don't know. Um, but um, it just that hold on to Rangeway and mm. surrounding areas, which we've had back then more. Um, Sylvia did a kids' club, which was a lot of Rangeway kids we used to mm. get. And now what Ben and Grace is doing with mm. the Rangeway area. Yeah. Just seems to be Rangeway. Yeah, so there's a particular... A connection with Rangeway, yeah, yeah certainly. Areas, but mm. Rangeway, yeah. Fantastic, excellent. So, so as far as recognizing God's faithfulness for you, excuse me, for you, there's a strong connection with that kids ministry. And I know reading that document, your mum was very involved in oh. scripture in school, but also in the kids ministry. I kept on seeing her name over and over again. Yeah, well, there was still scripture in schools when I was married. I did some mm. as well with. Um, Jim Gallagher, Great. From Rangeway School. Yep. Um, mm. And the Boys Brigade I was involved with, Girls Brigade. Mm. Yeah, so a lot of children's things here. Yeah. Which was good. Um, and with mum and dad and having their own business, it was like, mm. like us kids. Um, yeah. 
being orphans every now and again. Yep, yep, um, yep. But, um, yeah, they were dedicated um, to mm. everything that was happening, um, as well as the Carmody's, mm. um, spending the Sunday in here until yep. that night. That was a very strong that came up in that document. So just to be clear, this document was just the first 20 years. Obviously, there's another 40 that we haven't spoken to at this point. But um, So obviously, you're picking some of that out because you've been here pretty much that whole time, haven't you? Yeah. But there were so many people that were so faithful, so faithful. The pastors came and gone. A lot of them were very young, like barely graduated Bible college. This was like their first post, and I noticed that in a number of them. Um, but, in fact, uh, when I saw the name Jim Gallagher, uh, I actually have a friend whose name is Dean Gallagher. So I, I actually sent him a message last night and said, hey, is Jim Gallagher related to you? He said, yeah, that's my uncle. Um, so Dean Gallagher, uh, his children were, I was their children's pastor. And uh, so we went to church together for quite a number of years. And now he actually owns Five Senses Coffee, which is the coffee that we'll be enjoying today. Um, so there you go. So connection points all over the place. Um, yeah. And so is there anything else that comes to mind that you wanted to say about maybe God's faithfulness? Oh, no, I can't think of anything. Oh, that, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. How about an engaging story? What's something fun or funny that you can think of in your time here? It's okay. Your mum's oh. not here. You can say it now. Oh, gosh. Um, I think Eric Holland brings back, because I was only small, and um, if you knew Eric, he was a jolly fellow, but his sermons were so angry <laughs> I thought, oh, gosh, why is he so angry when he's supposed to be <laughs> joyful? And I used to just shudder in my shoes and sit there. <laughs> so, yeah, he used to um, just amaze me how he'd get up and, and be a Billy Graham preaching and then laugh and play the piano accordion every other time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, That's fantastic. Yeah. And I think it was Arthur Payne as a youth group, teenage youth group, mm. as Easter's coming up. Um, we got 44-gallon drums, us teenagers, and went to Southgate, if you know where Southgate is, and the sand hill, the huge sand hill that's not so huge anymore. It's kind of been windswept, I think, and a lot more trees growing up it. But we got these 44-gallon drums and lugged them up there and made a sign of Jesus lives. I think it was that. Um. Has anyone seen this? I'm told it's huge. And you can see it. You can see it. Not anymore? Oh, it was, it was years ago, it was, yeah. So you could see it from a distance? Oh, as you're coming into Geraldton, yes, it just hit you. Um, because it was just on that curve and wow. entrance into Geraldton. So that was there. I don't remember taking the drums down. <laughs> that, that was probably calm. They had to come and remove them. <laughs> Sorry. But our next guest, uh, Nigel, he used to work as <laughs> for calm. That so that would blow another with sand. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was one. What an epic thing. I'm just imagining. I know I've actually driven into Hollywood and I've looked up on that hill and seen that massive Hollywood sign. So now I'm imagining that as you enter Geraldton. You look up and see this much cheaper version of Jesus saves uh, in, in 44-gallon drums. That's, yeah. that's amazing. 
just before you go, can you tell us that story that you told me about your brother um, playing tricks on Eric while he was preaching? You told me not to tell him. Oh, no, it's all right. My kids aren't here. <laughs> I didn't want to give the kids any ideas. But, uh, yeah, go on. Well, back then we had the three hymns and the Bible reading, so Dad had made a, 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 a wooden thing to put the three hymns on and us kids used to put the numbers in and put that up and uh, Eric Holland, most of the ministers used to have like a drink of water put in their little thing. So Eric Holland was one. <laughs> And my brother, we used to get these little insect, plastic insect things in the wheat bix or something, the wheaties. And my brother used to put some spiders in the <laughs> glass of water and um, <laughs> try to frighten them. <laughs> no wonder he was an angry preacher. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Thank you so much. Rhonda, can you guys give Rhonda a round of applause? I love that, just that humbly, that, that story. So just sort of, God has been faithful the whole time. Uh, and so um, if you could put that screen, oh, I don't know what happened. There was a, that's all right, I'll let you guys pray over the computer and resurrect it. Nigel, come on up. So if you look up uh, on that board once it's up, you've probably been staring at it, there's a list of pastors. Uh, and then there are actually two occasions where the leadership of the church really carried it. Uh, without a paid pastor. And there we go. So um, there is this moment before Chris Beale. Um, I've actually put it after Chris Beale, but Elton has helped me clarify. It was a little bit after, but there was this big chunk of time, um, which is some of the gaps there that I didn't know. I've just, Elton just told me about just before the service began. Uh, there was that there was an eldership-led uh, congregation. And then uh, after... Down here from 98 to 2012, there was another, which is a substantial amount of time, right? That's what, 12, 13 years, where it was an, elder, uh, an eldership-led or a lay leadership, which means uh, there was no paid person uh, taking responsibility in the eldership, uh, really shared the role. And Nigel was one of those guys, and he was one of the more common preachers, is my understanding. And, so, and he was on that leadership, so I've invited Nigel to come up and share some of those stories. So there you go, Nigel. Um, so can you tell us, I believe it's on, can you tell us a story of God's faithfulness during your time, during that decade or so? Yeah, well, thanks, Matt. It's, a, it's really great to honour what God did over all those years when you think it's 60 years. Mm. And I came first in 92, so that was wow. just not long after Chris Beale had gone and it was running as a sort of lay ministry at that time. And the church was just really firing it. And mm. uh, I, in fact, got a won a job up here and was planning to move and hadn't been able to sort out a house. And I get this phone call about a month before we were coming from Denise to Boulay mm. and said, Nigel, have you found a house yet? And the manse was empty. Um, so I was offered the house for the months before Kevin Brown came as pastor up there in 92. Mm. And so we moved up, we're able to have this. So I know what you, you know, about the colours yeah. <laughs> and whatnot, but that was such a huge blessing. And We have a bright green kitchen bench top, uh, which yeah. is very, very classic for the 80s. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 
So we, we came a, a, along and we were thinking when we'd moved to Geraldton we'd have a look around the churches that were here and work out which one was good to go to. But after Denise offered this manse, we just felt obligated. <laughs> <laughs> so we came on that, the first Sunday we came with Anne-Marie Anne and we had four, uh, three children at that stage. And uh, the Bapo Church in Geraldton at that time it was just really firing. It was just, uh, mm. you know, a, an incredible group of leaders in that lay ministry group. And uh, it, it, so we didn't end up going anywhere else. We just didn't even look. Never went to another different church after that, just locked in. And uh, not long after that, uh, I got dobbed in, I think, to be a deacon and, and, and got involved there. And then Cabin came. Um, I think uh, it must have been late 92 that Cabin came. I'm pretty sure that was when it was. And, uh, and then Cavan, not long, was keen to see an eldership established because that had sort of just fallen away with not having pastoral leadership here. Mm. And uh, myself and Dave Snell's dad, Max, got dobbed in to take on that responsibility and worked alongside Cavan for that six years he was here. Um, and uh, was really blessed by Cavan's ministry as a pastor. He was mm. a remarkable guy. And uh, significantly because of his capacity for pastoral care hmm. and the church went through some real challenging times in there one of the young couples lost their first child just a day or so after birth hmm. and just a really tough time in church life and uh Kevin was just so good at you know getting around the congregation and and that couple hmm. and then I, I was with Kevin a number of times when he was working with people who were in their last stages of life and and he was just a very good pastor during that time. But uh, we went through a really challenging time. At the, mm. latter, uh, well, it wasn't long after Kevin got here because, he, you know, he came as pastor to this really firing church. And then over about the first 18 months, two years of his ministry, about a dozen families moved away. And maybe mm. if, it might have been more than that. And, uh, you know, they were, as happens in regional towns, teachers get transferred out or hospital workers or whatever, and this sudden drop in that sort of church capacity happened. And Cavan pa- I mean, was then here pastoring a church that was very different to the one that called him in terms of that sort of number and dynamic. Mm. And one of the outcomes of that was we were struggling then to pay for Cavan mm. as a church to meet that stipend. And I remember meeting with Max uh, Snell back then. On it. We had a number of crisis meetings at the latter part of Cavan's term as pastor here because we couldn't afford to pay his stipend. And uh, we sort of, you know, prayed and talked about how we were going to resolve this. And when Cavan left at the end of the six years he had been here, we owed him several months' salary. Mm. And so he left and, and then... Um, um, I was the sole elder at that. I was on my own at that stage of time. Dave's father and mother had moved down south and pulled together the deacons and met in that. We didn't have this hall then. It was just in the old hall. And uh, we said, you know, said we need to set our direction. So we mm. pulled together a church workshop, invited the whole congregation, members and attendees, and talked through where we were going as a church, what we would do, and then met with the deacons. We ran a workshop day in that old hall there to consolidate what our direction would be, what our key mm. ministries would be. We knew with that, you know, group we couldn't do everything. Mm. And uh, out of that sort of, uh, we locked into uh, doing a congregational ministry of model, model using sort of lay people to make the church happen. 
And um, I, I was in that sort of eldership role and ended up um, sort of carrying lead pastoral responsibility. I, I did all the weddings and the, and the funerals and pastoral counselling and, and uh, you know, most of the, you know, the preaching during that time. But all the men in the congregation stepped up and it was quite a remarkable time because we had uh, new Christians in the, in the church uh, not long after that who, you in their first uh, one or two years of being a Christian, had to go at their first sermon during that time. Wow. So many of the, of, the, of, of the men stepped up to take responsibility for sharing the word of God. And I remember running little preaching classes here for people that weren't confident and wanted to have a go at Fantastic. Uh, sharing from the word of God. But it was an awesome period of, of growth in people's lives. But it was also an incredible time of growth as a church. And uh, the, the numbers just kept growing dramatically in that first 18 months um, of, of running that congregational model and that little hall next door, uh, we were just squeezed in. It was evident that we weren't going to be able to um, continue with that growth in, in that place. So the deacons... And by then, Lindsay Gregg, who was uh, very faithful here for a lot of years, he's a teacher at Strath, or was. I don't know if Lindsay's still at Strath. He still he's is? There. He's about wow. 100, I think, still teaching. <laughs> but... Um, and he, he took up the eldership and shared that with me during that period of time. But uh, um, we had a deacon um, on a, who was our property and treasure, property deacon and treasurer back then. Mm. And that was Mount Murray Wilding. And uh, Murray's a quiet sort of a guy, not an upfront person, but he's an absolute machine when it comes to getting things done. Mm. And as we, we shared about the fact that that little hall wasn't going to be enough anymore... Um, Murray got the bit between his teeth to go and pursue how it, how it would be that we might be able to get a new auditorium. And, of course, during that period of time, we weren't paying the cost of a pastor having to meet the salary and we were able to save. Mm. And uh, the outcome of that, that was Murray, Murray got the services of a, of a Christian architect and he did all the plans pro bono. And Murray took on the job of project management during those, those years. Mm. And we met as a congregation and, uh, to talk about this and there was, it wasn't without apprehensions and I guess those who've been around church a long time know that building programs are often a source of a fair bit of conflict in a church. And I remember running around to members and catching up with them in their homes and sharing with them about the vision and what God couldn't do. Mm. And when it came to the vote, it was absolutely unanimous. Fantastic. And we built this auditorium here with no debt at all. And so we, we covered all of that cost and, and then we were, were able to meet with the, without debt. And the, and the church had continued to really flourish um, and grow and uh, mm. just uh, saw God doing great things in, in people's lives week after week with, uh, you know, a pretty light on resources. And um, mm. I was a, a pretty busy in my work life for those days and effectively doing the pastoral role here with all, mm. all those sort of primary pastoral needs and running a youth group and midweek youth Bible study and then mm. I was pretty committed to spearfishing. So weather, weather was good <laughs> on a Saturday. I did that and then did my prep from when I got home till 2 or 3 in the morning and then wow. came, came here and, and shared. But to be honest, you know, those years were probably the most significant years in my church life as mm. an adult at least. Wow. And it was a very, very special time as a church. And I can remember, you know, so many number of occasions when, you know, 
the sense of God working was so real that when you provided opportunity for people just to respond, uh, there was only a, a few dotted in their seats out there. Yep. And, you know, this front part was just lined with people wanting to meet with God. Fantastic. God is faithful. It was there. It was a very, very special mm. time. So, Brilliant. Yeah, that was how... That was how church was for that sort of 12, a year, 12 or so years. And mm. uh, yep. at the, it's about, a, you know, about the 11-year mark, I was probably not realising, but I was pretty fried. Mm, no doubt. And, uh, and uh, I'd taken a, a year's break from the eldership and I'd ended up most of six months caring for my dad who was in a, a palliative situation in the goldfields. And uh, Simon Phillips sort of ended up then as as a sole elder here, but they, we had just started the conversa- conversation mm. about calling a full-time pastor. Fantastic. And the church was in a position with the resources to be able to do that. Brilliant. And uh, the consequence of that was Paul was called and came as pastor at, the, at that time. So that, you know, that was a very, very significant uh, period, period in the church life at Gerald and Beppo to, for the, you know, those years and to see all that happen and see God work in so, so many good. lives. There are, there are people, you know, who I guess are still disciple 25 years later. We meet yeah. regularly. And, Beautiful. And, uh, yeah, it's very, very significant. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much. I apologise. I'm starting to look at the time and I know I've got two videos left yeah. to come. One from Paul Quick, who Nigel was just making reference to, and one from Craig. Um, so, is there anything else you wanted to share before we put those videos on? Well, you talked about a funny story. Yes. That, I, that would fill up all, the rest of the time. but Probably. <laughs> we ran a youth group uh, during that time, and it was a pretty wild experience. Sana's laughing over there because she's had to go to counselling ever since. <laughs> experience with that youth group. Now they talk about safe church. We had dangerous church yeah. back then. <laughs> yep. And uh, yep. I remember taking all the young crew up to a block that my work had acquired up near Moresby there chasing rabbits for youth group on Friday night. Fantastic. And I had an old Land Cruiser with about 20 kids on it, (laughs) at least. And I used to just chug along at a few k's now, you know. Yep. And we got quite a lot of kids who weren't from a church background there. You know, the church kids brought them along. And I think Elton, it was uh, Noel who brought a young friend this particular Friday night, first time to youth group. And we're, we're chugging along this paddock up there to chase rabbits with a spotlight and hear this little voice. He said, oh, this is fantastic. My mum had never let us do this. You know what? Permission slips. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Matt, could I just acknowledge a few, though, just as I sure. finish? Uh, Kevin Brown's one of those. Uh, yeah. And uh, um, I'd like to acknowledge Max and Joan, Dave, your mum and dad. They mm. were... Just a great stay here during those years. I really valued learning from Max during that period. We shared eldership and his experience and maturity. Lindsay Gray warrants acknowledgement. His service and eldership during that time was a great blessing. Mm. Um, and uh, Murray Wilding um, for the huge amount of work. And I think he worked with Reg, who was the builder for this project. Fantastic. So uh, Reg is somewhere. He's probably got skin in the bricks in here somewhere. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, there are so, so many others, um, Murray and Sarah and uh, Rhonda and Anita. I was going to talk about that sort of little workshop we ran. Anita, you typed the proceedings of that workshop up at the end. So, <laughs> um, so and there, look, there's, there's too many others uh, that I'm sure I've missed. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That's, that's always the danger with this kind of thing. Thank you so much, Nigel.
Can you give uh, Nigel an applause? Brilliant. So we have uh, a video from Paul Quick, who, like I said, is the pastor at Morley Baptist Church currently, and he's doing a wedding uh, this weekend, so he couldn't make it. And then I might actually just get you to go straight into Craig, because we've got to get, we've got to watch these. So thank you. Sound? No, no. Go, go, Paul first. Yeah. Thank you. Hi there, Geraldton Baptist Church. Congratulations to you all on your 60th anniversary. Quite the milestone. Sarah and I would have loved to have been there with you today to celebrate, but I'm officiating at a wedding uh, just north of Northam this afternoon. And I still haven't quite got this omnipresence thing down pat. So please accept our sincere apologies and we wish you a wonderful time of celebration and thanksgiving to God for his great faithfulness. I well remember the way that my spirit leapt within me on a day in around mid-2011, when my son rang me and he said, Dad, Gerald Baptist Church is advertising for a pastor. And then he added, it sounds like they're looking for Jesus. <laughs> well, I applied anyway. And so began three of the most precious years of pastoral ministry that I've ever had, uh, in spite of, or perhaps uh, in the midst of, such sudden tragic loss. I have so many fond memories of my time there among you. Arthur Payne used to say of Geraldton Baptist that it was an unusual church in that it had such a high concentration of mature, godly people. Uh, I agree. That was my experience of ministering among you across those three years. In fact, it was only the sudden loss of Ali that forced me to make the hard decision to move on at the end of 2014. Your theme for your anniversary is so fitting. And God is indeed faithful. Psalm 36 says it so well. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. So may you know God's great faithfulness, taking you into ever-expanding missional impact in your city, and throughout your region. I feel like I proved the truth of his great faithfulness over and over during my time there. Have a wonderful celebration, church. God bless you. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. And now, now can I just get you to play Craig's as well? He just sent me this at about 10 o'clock last night. But Matt's just asked me to share a few things that I remember of our time being there in Geraldton. But I think of God's faithfulness, the thing that I really appreciated through our journey at Geraldton was the, the vital prayer aspect and how God uh, brought us on a journey of really deepening our prayer life in Him. You know, I saw through that time kind of that deepening connection to rely on Him for what we needed and we saw changes where the people were praying to see healing happen in people's lives or as we would pray we were kind of brought to a point of generosity towards one another some people were just giving of financial help or practical help that they felt god was prompting them to do that to be able to see people after church just praying for one another and some real deep significant moments happening in those moments i guess god taught me a lot through that situation as well and 
uh, just to rely on him, him for those things. One particular story that we all had to experience a bit a, a few years back now was the calling of Ben and Grace to come and join us to do ministry alongside us at GBC. And as we waited for them to get their visas, and I know they did a lot of the heavy lifting to get that happening, um, we saw God really come through at a time where we wondered whether it was just time to let it go. But to see that happen and then get their visa granted in miraculous ways kind of showed us that um, this was, had his fingerprints all over it. They saw visions of how where they were meant to live and the kind of ministry that they, you were calling them into. And, yeah, it was just awesome to be a part of what God did in that circumstance. I mean, I think of events that kind of brought to light to us. I can think of times where just baptisms are always a highlight in the life of the church. And you might remember the time when it was back, Sean and I were baptising Jamie and he felt after that he would baptise me straight away as well. I remember Ollie and Gerald doing laps at different times while we were worshipping around the congregation. I remember the young girls up the back just worshipping God together in delight as they were dancing along to the music. I can think of the times when um, the power went out during our services or just before our service. And that were sometimes the best times when people were just really relaxed into that. We just took it as it come and we enjoyed worshipping God together in that way. Those times when we had an opportunity to go down the beach and just hang out, you know, as Gerald and people love to do, just in that casual atmosphere, sharing food, praying for one another, having deepening conversations, just real casual conversations, those kind of moments of just being relaxed in who God had made us to be. So once again, I'm really sorry I can't be with you today, but thank you for the opportunity to share and just pray a blessing on GBC as you look into the future as today you celebrate the past. Fantastic. Well, I actually had some a little bit more to, to say, which I won't. But let me sum it up by saying uh, God has been faithful through many years. God is faithful in the earth, as we talked about before. He is doing some amazing things in the world. And he has been faithful here for the last 60 years. And so I just want to invite you to consider what that may look like for the next 60 years. In our 70-year anniversary, what is the story going to be for this last decade? And, and, and I just want to invite you into that. And the one thing that I feel totally compelled is that it needs to be on a foundation of prayer. And so, and like I've been preaching upon, is that we have that free will choice to whether or not we partner with God, with whether or not we say yes to Jesus. Now, that is our catchphrase as a church. The summary of our mission statement is we help people say yes to Jesus. And can I just highlight that is not just people coming to Jesus and getting saved, but it's actually every day after that as well. We need to be people who continually say yes to Jesus. Now, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what the, the, the next building plan might be. I've got suspicions. But... but at the end of the day, this is God's house. He is the head of this church. And our job is to be faithful to him and celebrate his faithfulness. And being Palm Sunday, I just want to end with this. Is that Jesus, on Palm Sunday, 
entered Jerusalem 100% knowing that he was going to be killed. His father had already revealed it to him. He'd already told his disciples about it. They hadn't quite bought the truth of it yet. Until it really all happened, they were a bit thick. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew. He was faithful right up until death. And then actually beyond death. He was still faithful. And now, even now, he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Beautiful. And so I just want to close in prayer. But as we celebrate what God has been doing here for the last six decades, let us also pray and start inviting God and start partnering with God with what he wants to do here for the next. Does that sound okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness. And I can't say it enough. That I think we all understand we don't deserve it. We don't deserve you being faithful in our lives individually. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve the concept that Jesus came and died on our behalf to pay this debt that we could not afford to pay. God, help us to be people who are eternally grateful for that. Help us be people who live lives that, A, are ready to, to live lives that are grateful. We want to be people who are thankful and to honour you every day in every way. And God, help us say yes to Jesus. Help us say yes to your plan. Whatever, whatever the future holds for us, God, help us be people who say yes. As we hear of, the, of those stories of sacrifice, if we hear of those stories of you know, that gentleman who gave 300 acres of land for the building project, for, those, for those, that decade of time, that 12 years of time of lay leadership where they, where they actually sacrificed their own time on top of working full time to actually lead and minister in this place. God, we acknowledge that we are standing on the shoulders of all those people that came before us. Help us honour them. Help us honour you by saying yes to whatever it is that you want to do here next. And Lord, as we go and share morning tea together, we pray that you'll bless it to our bodies, especially all the sugar. Help our bodies handle that well. In Jesus' name, amen especially the kids. So we have, uh, thank you for all of you who have brought food. Uh, we are going to head out there now. Sorry, music team. We might just put a pin in it there. And, uh, and feel free to join us for morning tea.